I'm Athena Silver. I'm Anya River. And we are the Rebel Crow. Athena is a professional psychic medium and tarot reader, among other things. Anya is a tarot reader and an astrologer, among other things. We are so excited to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, where we have fun talking about magic, tarot, mythology, astrology, and everything witchy. Find us on YouTube and on all major podcasting platforms at the Rebel Crow Psychic Show. Um, we put out a podcast episode weekly. Um, you can find more information at rebelcrowpsychicshow.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Rebel Crow Psychic Show with your host, Athena Silver. Tonight, we have another wonderful guest interview. We are going to be talking to a visionary, an author, woman, and lover of all things feminine. We're going to be having Saren Bertrand come on. So stay with us, and we'll be right back. We're back. Let's get started. Like I said in the intro, we're having a wonderful guest interview tonight. We're having Sarah Bertrand. She wrote Spirit Weaver Wisdom Teachings from the Feminine Path of Magic. Saren has co-authored two other books, The Magdalene Mysteries and Womb Awakening. She weaves together mythology, spirit vision, symbolism, and the feminine philosophy traditions from all over the world. Thank you for coming on the show today, Saren. It's a pleasure to have you. It's wonderful to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do we begin? <laughs> as as Walt Whitman says, I am multitudes. It's hard to pin it down, but um, I'm an author and an incantrix. I was born in Yorkshire in England, and I now live in America in the Appalachian Mountains. I draw a lot of my inspiration from my roots and my heritage in Yorkshire and the magical traditions of that land that kind of continue to speak and amplify through me. Um, in the last decade, both my mother and father died and I buried them in green um, burials at the foot of a very holy mountain called Mount Tor, um, which has had goddess worshippers there for like over 3,000 years that we have records of. So, so this is kind of the wellspring of my work that um, um, inspired me to to write Spirit Weaver. Well, I'm very sorry for your loss. That that's very hard losing both of your parents. But it look it sounds like you were able to truly honor them not only in their life but in their passing in such a beautiful way. Thank you for sharing that. Oh no worries. It's 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 a really deep journey when your parents become ancestors and it yes. opens that door to a very um embodied Gnostic ancestral wisdom. Well, you are in good company because uh ancestor practice is very important here on Rebel Crow Psychic Show. We have quite a few episodes, so if any of you want to see them. Look back on our playlist, they're there. <laughs> so I'd like to first ask you, as I ask all of our guests that come on, how do you define yourself within the craft? How do you see yourself? How do you label your practice? You know, we know labels don't usually pinpoint down exactly, but they put us in the realm of understanding. 
Yeah, it's a really interesting question, actually. And it's one that is kind of bubbled under the surface for me because um, I often find that, you know, modern witchcraft um, doesn't always really reflect um, land-based traditions from where I come from in Yorkshire. And, And so I kind of grew up with this this sense of this magic and I love the word magic because I feel like magic is the that subtle substance that runs through all lineages and all traditions and all labels like no matter what your path is what your craft is how you're naming it the end destination or the 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 world you're in is magic you know it's it's everywhere the world is is made of magic but for me, it was that I never really identified with um, modern witchcraft movements at all. Mm-hmm. So I've never been down that path. And so I really never actually identified with any particular tradition. And and then when I, you know, in my own journey and my own research, I found that the oldest traditions in the wo- the world are these feminine magic traditions and by that I don't mean that they exclude anyone that's not a woman that it's a it's a sense of a of a very embodied um animistic way of looking at the world but which honors um the the feminine birth magic that we all have because we all birth things and we all create things and we all dissolve things and destroy Absolutely. things too. And, and so, yeah, in a way I, I feel that like all kind of Gnostic witches, the first teacher is the moon, the oh, moon yes. of the earth, because that's where you feel that mystery outside of human created theology theologies or ideas the sense that there is this kind of mystical cyclical birthing and dissolving world so I think that's really where my heart is it's kind of it's like it's It's merged with everything (laughs) I've always said I've never met a religion yet that I can't find something to love about it (laughs) same absolutely I hear you 100% on that um I feel very much this in the same path like I feel like I'm a child of the world I'm very Mm -hmm. um mixed race so I have a lot Mm -hmm. of ancestors from literally every continent yeah, except yeah. for Antarctica for that's all I know yet but, but maybe <laughs> but going back to all of those traditions a lot of them were kept within mother to child and passed mm-hmm. down through that matriarchal lineage yeah, and, yeah. It, and I noticed that it's still happening today we're yeah. still wisdom keepers as women it's just that we're we're carrying the family stories as opposed to the cultural stories as we would have you know, yeah. generations before. I think we may have lost a few connections, but we're gaining them back. We're getting them back. You know what I loved in in our book, um, Magdalene Mysteries, which was researching the the lineage of Mary Magdalene and then how it kind of diffused out like a root network a, a, across the world. But one of the descriptions of um, the Cathar priestesses or, or witches in France was that they had uh, dynasties of witches. 
Mm-hmm. And I love that idea and I love that word, this idea of these, you know, and I think in America you might say dynasties, you know, dynasties yeah, no. of dynasties of um feminine wisdom. And you know, they they studied together in these houses. Um, and then when they were persecuted, they actually set up camp in the woods mm-hmm. and practiced there. And and so I'm really, really interested. And in Spirit Weaver, my latest book, book kind of touches in on this, but my next book will go deeper into this, is these um matrilineal um wisdom traditions that are oral and that have been passed down through dynasties of of witches and that even when the books have been burnt you know the memory still lives in lives on in our epigenetic wisdom and um so i'm really fascinated with that and and actually one of the um factors of that that I'm really fascinated with is that you know it was considered that to have a daughter was like such an incredible um gift because you continued that direct witch line descent you know bloodline but that actually in those old traditions it was often the grandmother who taught a daughter so it was very rarely your own mom who taught you and we can understand why that well, you're saying that and I'm thinking like you're talking about my entire life story <laughs> um, I myself come from a hereditary witch dynasty yeah. <laughs> we've been witches for many generations and like you said I didn't learn from my mother I learned no. from my grandmother and my great-grandmother exactly and, and it seems like every few every few generations there will be the one that is has many many gifts and really brings on the tradition and then there will always be the a few traditions that people decide not to practice because it wasn't safe yeah um they didn't they themselves weren't ready to commit to that kind of task because it looks like in my family when we commit we commit big and it's a lifestyle that that becomes you know part of our path yeah so you know, reading your book, it was like deja vu every now and again. Like, yeah. oh my God, do we know each other? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that's what's beautiful because the, the tradition actually, it has this, how can we say it, this magical skeleton. Yes. That, that holds and structures it. But every family and every tradition kind of puts slightly different flesh on it, mm-hmm. you know, different clothes and different flesh, but you, you recognize the bare bones. Yes. And to me, that is what, that's ancestor magic because the bones are the same. And, and so you can say, oh, I recognize the, the, the skeleton, the bare bones, the magical bones. And then we all dress it up in different ways. So, you know, from, from Yorkshire and the places I'm from, it's like every valley has a slightly different take on the magic. You know, you can't really, there's not a, a top down. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, like it's not a religion it's not a top-down structure it's a root structure and like then it everyone... belongs to all of us exactly and then yeah. that also happens in a lineage that gifts don't express you know some people have like those really strong psychic gifts that kind of get a lot of airtime. but some people in you know witch dynasties they have domestic magic because you can't yes. have everyone having the same magic you know everyone has a, a different magic and and I, I feel you know I don't know any solution to this but one of the um 
difficulties of modern life that has become so mobile, which of course gives us lots of opportunity and possibility. But on the you know, negative side is we don't live in these extended families anymore. And we don't really practice a lot of ancestor worship in that magical way. So, you know, that that role of the grandmother or the great grandmother um, to teach the children magic, which is has always really been the role of the elders, the enchantresses, the crones. I think and I think you're right about that. But I also think people forget that these traditions start at home. They start in the kitchen. They start mm. in the basement. They start yeah. in the, outside yeah. in the garden. That yeah. That's where your children learn the most about themselves and about magic is that yeah. they've got to see it in their daily lives. Whereas when you're communicating, say, with your grandmother or, or mm. you know grandfather, whatever, that you're able to listen to them because they're not coming from a place of like authority. They're coming from a place yeah. of let me support you where you stand, where yeah. your parents can't always do that. You know, no. they have to be disciplining, and, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and I think there's something just so magical as a child uh, with your relationship with your grandmother because you know usually your grandmother's not living right in with you you know she's close by but so going to her kitchen or her house I remember going to my grandmother's house it was it always felt like a treat and very mysterious and where all the good stuff would happen and and I think one of the keys is that the teachings, we often think about, we kind of replicate the modern public educational system in yes. our magical systems, right? And, and I understand that because when we've lost these, you know, connections with dynasties of, you know, witches and traditions, you know, we need these ways. But when you're learning in a more family environment, it doesn't really have, it's not fancified. It just feels like part of daily life. And I think and it's, it's all some, out of order. No, yeah. there's no chronological order. It is no, so it just <laughs> feels like, like you, I think for a lot of us, you know, um, you know, the really kind of deep um, mysteries, because obviously we, we've not lived in an era where we've been able to go to Eleusius for great mass <laughs> rebirth. For <ritual>. real. Right. <laughs> OK. So so the, the most we've encountered it is in small gatherings or at home. But often you it, it's so hard to to really imagine what it's like to live that you kind of hold it outside yourself. But when you've really lived it or experienced it in a family, it's like you just naturally integrate it. It's like that's normal. So yeah. I remember with my grandmother, she um, when I had my hair cut when I was a little girl, it would always happen at her house and she kept the hair and 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 she kept it in a little box and you know and I never really used to think too much about that and then you know you kind of get a little older and you start asking questions but for her my hair was like so valuable because it was something that could be used against me you know yeah so but it gave me innately without needing big words that, that something in our body and our being is is very magical and valuable and, sacred. and yeah. sacred and needs protection you know it's not just that you know you go to the hairdressers and you know discard your hair and someone sweeps it up and puts it in the bin like it has 
no value or vitality or life or memory or or, or power so I, I really remember how that that little just little gesture stuck with me of like that there is some like magical power within us so I wanted to ask you what inspired this book what was your reading reason to go down put pen to paper and and get it out there <laughs> well, you know what? It's interesting because my first two books are like heavy books. They're really yeah, they heavy are. books. <laughs> it's like I always say to people, you know, if you really want to learn from it, just put it under your pillow and dream with it. But, you know, they're really <laughs> heavy books. And and a lot of the older writing in Spirit Weaver was um, essays that I'd written as I was writing those other books that came just more from my own personal life and experience. So I had them kind of all gathered in a private treasury. And the way I understand life is I write about it. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I had all these essays forming and I just got this idea that I wanted to bring them together, you know, in, in a book and then and then kind of frame it in this, this sense of the, you know, my line lineage of the Mamtor lineage and the spirit weaving, this um, kind of energy that is very easy because you're not having to choose between things or say something is bad and something is good. You're kind of a, a lot more cunning and canny than that. You have more yeah. possibilities to weave together. And then I actually, you know, approached my publisher, I think it was, you know, in 2020. <laughs> and the feeling was, is that we were suddenly living in such heavy times. Yes. That we needed the kind of the feminine magic that is, is, is domestic and has that light touch to it, that nourishing feeling, that cozy feeling. And it was, it's almost like, you know, if you look kind of 10 years back when the outer culture was, you know, doing its thing, there was a drive like, we've got to do shadow work. We've got to, you know, there was this kind of intense energy coming through, still has its place. But I felt like after we tipped into the upside down <laughs> in 2020, there was this real need for people to experience and reach out for this feminine magic that is um, more homely. Well, when you're talking through that 10-year cycle, we've seen a lot when it comes to womanhood. We've seen yeah. the rise of Me Too. We've seen yeah. women channeling their voices and not just women we've got you know everybody in the mix yeah. everybody is using their voice especially marginalized people yeah and to see we're all stepping into our feminine again where we're yeah. not letting the patriarchy lead the, the group anymore yeah. we're turning yeah. tides now and yeah. throughout that time it's like you're getting so many of these feminine uprisings. You're getting yeah, so yeah. many books that cater to the feminine yeah. in particular. And even when it comes to how the feminine affects men, you yeah. know, so you're seeing a different type of man emerge yeah, through this yeah, rebirthing yeah. process as well. Yeah, like yeah. us women are finding our voices, but the men are starting to honor our voices as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think, you know, in this era as well, one of the biggest roles for women or people aligned with the feminine is grief. Yeah. Like we are the keening women. And 
no era will end without being properly grieved and keened and respected. And that is, I think, something that for people who aren't deep in magical traditions, think that if something wasn't perfect, you just cut it out and rubbish it, <laughs> you yeah. know? Whereas actually deep magic is even if something was deeply imperfect, you you still respect it and you you put it to rest. Well, you transmute it. You keen it, you grieve yeah. it, you let it alchemize and transform because that is the death, the rebirth, the ritual. Whereas kind of cutting and not grieving, not allowing that death process to go all the way down to the root means that the, the new can't birth this rebirth magic. Well, while I was reading your book, I was drawing a lot of parallels to history, especially with magic and the rise of witchcraft after the Middle Ages and the plague. Yeah. Uh, when we had this, you know, a, a state where humanity was having a lot of death and a lot of grieving and, and a changeover mm. and the people who were left were different. They were changed yeah. by these events. Yeah. And it showed through the magic that came out you know, during that time, we get a lot of interesting, you know, um, different types and factions that pop up in history. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're, we're kind of going through that again here. We've just went through a very traumatic few years. And yeah. I think the ones that are left here were, were changed. And we need to yeah. reflect that with our magical practices again. Absolutely. I want to get into probably my favorite story of your whole book. Okay. And that is the patch work wedding dress that <laughs> almost brought me to tears of joy at how touching that just the message of that story would you go into a little bit about the story and where you know how it how it came with you yeah okay so so this story was um I'm a trained journalist and this was gosh let's have a think this was maybe 15 or 20 years ago I can't remember now but I um I decided I, I wrote, I started writing a lot of stories about um, ordinary women in Yorkshire and like understanding what their lives were. And one day my mom had said that there was this old lady in the neighborhood and I can't remember how old she was, but my mom was old at the time. So she must have been, you know, nearing like 90s or. Oh, wow. You know, okay. She was up there. She was up there. Because I think at the time my mom might have been in her 60s. But anyway, so I, I said, and my mom was just saying about everything she'd lived through, like mm -hmm. living through the wars and what it was like for her to be in this age, you know. And so we set up an interview with her at my mom's house. And when I arrived <laughs> The whole neighborhood was in the house. It was oh, crazy. It. it was like <laughs> the tea, you know, the kettle was going, the biscuits, the tea. There were like all old ladies like squashed in the back. Everyone, you know, was there. And the, this old lady sat on this kind of old <laughs> velour gold armchair like the queen. And, <laughs> and I interviewed her and, you know, we, we spoke for about three hours and everyone was just like listening rap and and again just like we discount that elderly people have stories that we want to listen to we, we live in a world where 
the media is completely skewed to very young voices. So she 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 started to tell this story about her wedding, that um, it was in the war, the Second World War, and they were in rations, and that even fabric was under rations. And the, these are the days where, you know, you don't um, go into a shop and just buy things, you make things. So her, her and they had her, vouchers for things like materials at the time too. So you were only allotted a certain amount of yards of fabric, you know. Exactly. So you ration. had these yeah. ration cards because it was the war. You could only buy a certain amount of food or a certain amount of uh, fabric. And you know, the ration card for silk, because I think they make the wedding dresses in silk, was just like one square per family. Mm-hmm. So the whole neighborhood donated their ration card of silk I know (laughs) and then they had all these you know kind of silk squares and then someone you know hand sewed it or machine sewed it into a patchwork wedding dress and she got married wearing this gorgeous silk wedding dress And, and just to me it was like I mean I still get goosebumps now a just to hear this lady and how when she had an audience, she really rose for the occasion. You know, she really uh, went in there and told her stories. But what what a, a beautiful metaphor that is, really? you know, of, of donating. Um, you know, and these were really poor folk. These were, you know, this is to know these were really poor people. And, and to donate that ration of one square of silk, you know, it held a lot of, of value and meaning to them. So, so yeah, so this, this idea of the patchwork wedding dress really stuck with me, um, you know, as, as a metaphor and, and, you know, and at one point I was going to write a book about it. It's such a such a, a great story. But, you know, our our communities are full of stories like this. They are. And while I was reading that story, the reason why it's my favorite is, A, it's heartwarming as all hell. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but B, it reminded me of conversations that I had with my great grandmother who was in that age group. She passed yeah. away a few years ago at the age of 99. But I had conversations with her about all the things that have been invented in her lifetime. And it's like electricity, you know, (laughs) like running water, you know, they didn't have running waters or bathrooms in their houses when she was born, you know, and just to just to hear about the community aspect, because again, being from a witchcraft family, community is huge. And the fact Mm -hmm. that this woman was able to have a physical representation of how much her community loves her. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, I feel like that's a connection that I hope that we get back in this generation yeah. Yeah. and in the generations after. And you know what? I feel like we have to, it's kind of reweave it. One of the things I feel really grateful for now in retrospect is I feel like I I kind of lived in, for me, one of the last, like, really community-focused worlds that you know lived on the same land with the same traditions you know in England and and actually even after my mom died I had a dream that I was walking through the streets and that whole world was dissolving because we live in a new world now and I feel like we can't go back to that but we can reweave it into the future but we have to know what it was and how it worked and how it felt why it was special 
why it was special. You know, it's funny, even um, as you were saying that story, just remembering in Spirit Weaver, I share a story about my auntie Margaret, who was (laughs) was one one of the well guardians. And um, she wore my mom's wedding dress for her wedding. So I have a I have photographs of like Auntie Margaret's wedding and my mom's wedding, and they both posed in the same pose at the same place, <laughs> wearing the same dress, and they look very similar too. You'll have to do a who wore it better. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and but just you know, again, in in a society like ours now, the thought of wearing someone's hand-me-down dress—it's unthinkable. People would be like, that's not what you do. But actually, you know, because they had to alter it for Auntie Margaret. She was a little, you know, differently shaped. But actually the magic that comes from this wedding dress that is kind of passed through the line and then we have the photos, it actually now holds more magic than if she would have just bought a new one. Exactly. It has the blessing in the family and the happiness of another marriage on it. Yeah, yeah. And also it kind of, it speaks to that sense of lineage and inheritance. So again, for me, when my mom was dying, that was, you know, the most profound feeling that came through as the role of inheritance in magic. Definitely. And it's with this inheritance, it's not just the tangible, it's, it's the the stories, the ideas, it's the romanticized feelings around it that get passed on that I think might even be more powerful than the physical item. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, it's an inheritance of, you know, and again, I call it legacy. It's like, what legacies we are, are we living in? And I think we've, We've become, thankfully, more aware of the negative legacies that we're living in. But I feel like the next step is like, well, how can we create positive legacies? And it's through the stories. Yeah. It's that's how we pass that on. Yeah. Wonderful. That's perfect. So um, I want to know what is your favorite story in the book? Oh, my gosh. That's that's I think. Really, my favorite story in the book was um, the one of Mamtor and the Mamtor ancestors, because that was really the first time that this magic that had been with me all my life, all my childhood, I'm sure people relate to this, that you're kind of aware that something's with you when you're a child. Oh, yeah. (laughs) yeah you can't articulate it no one talks about it you don't read it in books but you know that someone's with you and you also know it's not the god that they're talking about in church yep and you gotta ask yourself several times over am i crazy or is am i crazy what is it so you know (laughs) that something is with you right yep and and so that was for me the moment that of like, uh, oh my God, a huge articulation of this magic, these beings, this people, this lineage who has walked with me and held me through heaven and hell, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly like show their faces and come to meet me and say, you know, you're- like We you're, want you, we want you, work yeah, with you. Yeah, you, yeah. you're our kin, you know, you're, uh, we've got work for you to do. Yeah. 
you know, and, and that was a, a real moment of, you know, that kind of they had been supporting me and there was so much of my magic that I did not really understand originated in them. And then making that connection and then obviously being called to be in service absolutely to that legacy and to that land and to that memory and to those stories and and actually what's really interesting for me is they're not book stories so it's like you could now you know kind of try and find mam touring you can read about about you know the goddess brigantia and you know all this thing but the the magic that the ancestors put in me it's like it's not book magic it's not yeah. written about it's it's something direct and it's like percolating and so now I feel like you know and Spirit Weaver was part of this in service to making that reconnection with the ancestors of Mam Tor where of course like my mom and dad now live as ancestors this long you know lineage and just seeing how that wants to speak to the world and and I really think that's where the voice of legacy or inheritance or tradition is coming through them like that's not something I would have spoken about 10 or 20 years ago I hear you well the message comes when you're ready to speak it yeah. so you had to be ready to write such a wonderful book which yeah. I want to tell everybody please pick up your copy of Spirit Weaver wherever you get books it's so worth the read. It's something that's going to bring you back to a sense of belonging and a sense of home, no yeah. matter what lineage you practice or what lineage you come from. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, do you have anything interesting coming up? And how do the viewers get a hold of you? And, and you know, either do you have any classes or do you have a website? Let us know how to contact you. Okay, well, I have a website, www.serenbertrand.com. And I have a lot of essays on there. Um, I'm also starting a substack called The Enchantress of Elma, which is going to talk about specifically this area of the world the old celtic kingdom of elmet and and these stories of feminine magic so that's the best way to connect with me right now is to go to my website and join my newsletter i'm going i'm kind of i'm i'm going to have a winter of enchantment that's what i've decided where i'm going to kind of burrow down and not really do too much so um, but hopefully next summer there'll be an emergence from that well, I hope it's a restful winter for you. Yeah. That you get to chill out and recover and get ready for the next year. Yeah. I go through it too. <laughs> I feel like the winters are for me. The summers yeah. are for everybody else. Exactly. <laughs> Don't mess with my winters. That's what As Absolutely. Winters are for family. <laughs> well, I'm your host, Athena Silver. Um, if you would like to have a reading with me, I do tarot readings, mediumship readings, and I have other services that are available on my website, readingswithathenasilver.com. My Instagram is at athena.silver, and my TikTok is at athena underscore silver. Thank you so much for coming on, Sarah, and it was wonderful to have you on. Having another episode, not this week, but the week after on Thursday. Free episodes of Rebel Pro Psychic Show are available on rebelprosychicshow.com and also on the Rebel Pro Psychic Show channel on YouTube. 